check out my new book, Reach All Readers at reachallreaders.com. When you pre-order, you'll get special access to my Science of Reading mini course. Learn more at reachallreaders.com. Hello, Anna Geiger here from The Measured Mom, and today I'm interviewing Dr. Richard Gentry in part two of our spelling series. So in his 40 plus year career, he's written spelling curricula, he's written 18 books, and all of this with dyslexia. So we won't talk a lot about dyslexia in this episode, but he gave a wonderful interview on Melissa and Lori Love Literacy about dyslexia, which I'll be sure to link to in the show notes so you can learn how he was able to overcome that and accomplish these many great things and do so many things for teachers and students. In this interview, we start by talking about the stages of spelling development. We also talk about things to avoid and things to do when teaching spelling. And then we conclude by talking about what to do for kids who are struggling with their spelling words. Here we go. Welcome, Dr. Gentry. Hello. I'm delighted to be here. Well, thank you so much. You've written so much about spelling. I know you have a lot to share. But before we get into that, could you tell us a little bit about what brought you to education and all the things that you've done in your long career? Oh, sure. You know, it's interesting. My mother was my first grade teacher, and she is the person who taught me to read, and she's the one who really inspired me to um, go into reading education. Um, I think it's one of the best gifts anyone can give a child, uh, that is the gift of illiteracy. So my journey began at the University of North Carolina as an elementary education major. Then I went to the University of Virginia and did a PhD in reading education for 16 years. I directed the reading center at Western Carolina University in North Carolina. And um, I ended up with two full-time jobs, Anna, one Mm -hmm. as a uh, university professor, but then I was doing consulting work and uh, doing publication, and so I took a big risk. I gave up the university position and became self-employed as a researcher, writer, and educational consultant, and it's been a, a real exciting. Um, I've traveled all over. I've been to every state except Atlanta and internationally, and and. Mm-hmm. Uh, all to share literacy, which I think is one of the best gifts that a parent or a teacher uh, or an educator can give a child. Yeah, well, agreed, 100%. And did you say you've been to every state except Alaska? Is that what you said? That's right. So we took a trip there with our kids this summer, actually, um, because that is one of the three or four states that I have not been to yet, and uh, it was wonderful. So if you haven't been there yet, you'll definitely have to make a plan. Oh, it's on my list for sure. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. So let's get back to spelling. I know you can talk to us about what research says about spelling development. Yeah, uh, um, it's really amazing now. Um, all of a sudden, uh, we have learned so much in the last three decades from the latest research in cognitive psychology and, um, and, a, and an explosion of uh, research in neuroscience and what we've learned about reading is that uh, neuroscience says that spelling is at the very core of the reading brain circuitry and that's true both for the early phases of 
beginning readers and writers, but also for kids who are in grade two and beyond, and even adults. Um, it's really interesting. We have something called brain words, in, according to neuroscience, in the left hemisphere of the brain, where most of the, for most people, the reading circuitry is organized. And it is these brain words, these visual images of the spelling that actually um, connect to the words that are already in your spoken language. So uh, you use this alphabetic code. When you see the words on the page, it maps to or connects to that same word in your spoken vocabulary where you already have the uh, words meaning and its pronunciation. So uh, spelling, it's just so important. And uh, interestingly, and we'll get into that, um, it's not been recognized in teacher education, how very important it is, and we've gotten away from teaching spelling, but uh, we're going to get, uh, as we move into our discussion, I'm sure we'll talk about how that, how things are changing about that. So, you know, it sounds like you're talking about orthographic mapping just now, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. So orthographic mapping is, is exactly it. Um, and w what that means, orthography, that's spelling, and so um, you mapped to the spelling, to the sounds, the, uh, like for example, a word like cat has three sounds, and uh, beginners have to learn to orthographically map to the, the letters that they see in the code to the sound, and then they uh, recognize, recognize that that word C-A-T is the word that they have in their spoken vocabulary. Mm -hmm. So it's a wonderful process. Yeah, and like you said, it starts with the vision, starts with seeing the letters, but then this comb combining all these pieces together in our brain is not a memorization process exactly, but it's a connection of all the pieces that go together, right? That's stored. That's, that's exactly right. And um, <clears throat> it, it's interesting that you say it's not a memorization process, uh, process because some of the things that, that we have been doing that in the classroom or um, when when we teach have have been treating words as if you just had to memorize the spelling uh, but that's not how it works you really literally have to explicitly teach kids how to uh, do that orthographic mapping using the alphabet code and their knowledge of the alphabet to connect to the words in their in their brains, which we call brain words. Yeah, right. And of course, at the end, we can talk certainly more about that book, which is excellent and explains that in more detail. That when I think about like Linnea Aries' phases of word recognition, I also think about the spelling stages, which I think I read in a book of yours years ago, like when I was a teacher, like lots of years ago in a different book. Yes. Had, <laughs> I've been around a long time. <laughs> <laughs> so have I. So yeah, that was a long time ago. Um, and it was interesting to me at a recent presentation I went to about orthographic mapping, how they explained that Linnea's phases and then the spaces of spelling development, they all kind of line up. So maybe you could walk us through a little bit about uh, how you would describe the phases of spelling development. Okay, um, they almost perfectly line up. And it's interesting, they, we started out with two, Linnea Airy and myself and other um, 
colleagues at the University of Virginia and elsewhere who were working with developmental phases of spelling uh, started two lines of uh, research, and this research even precedes us, um, research that began in the early 70s. Uh, and by the 90s, we, we, we see that we came to the same um, c conclusion, and that is that both automatic word reading and use of invented spelling um, unfold or develop in five phases. And it was amazing, two different lines of research, mm -hmm. and they connected with the mm -hmm. same phases. So let, let me just describe briefly uh, each phase. Uh, the first phase is phase zero. It's called non-alphabetic spelling, and it's zero because it's really, there's no spelling there. Um, it's what one would expect in uh, with a non-reader in preschool, and uh, it's simply scribbling. Uh, again, called non-alphabetic because there are no alphabetic letters. So <clears throat> phase zero, non-alphabetic spelling, uh, is expected no later than the end of preschool or beginning of kindergarten. And so kids then move into, or um, hopefully are expected to move into phase one, which is called pre-alphabetic spelling. Pre meaning before, before they know how to use an alphabetic system. Of course, all alphabetic systems work by matching, the, or, or the English alphabet system works by matching the letters to sounds and words. And so in this pre-alphabetic stage, kids might draw a picture and maybe a grocery list, and uh, they might tell you what they're uh, trying to, uh, to write, maybe eggs, fish, um, milk, uh, but the letters aren't going to correspond to sounds. So it's just to, if you see them writing this way in phase one, uh, it's just going to look like, uh, uh, it's going to look like random mm -hmm. letters. So at this, that's expected in um, no later than the first half of kindergarten. By the end of kindergarten, though, uh, Kids are being taught how to match the letters to sounds, and so you're going to begin to see in their spelling uh, part of the letters representing sounds. For uh, example, a word like um, uh, eggs might be spelled with an E, um, and we call it partial alphabetic spelling because part of the sounds are, are represented. So it's a really fun process to watch. And literally, Anna, uh, the invented spelling uh, is a window into brain because it can show how kids are developing into um, eventually, by the end of first grade, uh, independent readers and writers. So now, uh, the next phase is a giant cognitive leap. They go from partial representation of sounds to what's called phase three, full alphabetic. And now it means full alphabetic means they are spelling all of the sounds and words, but the spellings aren't 
based on the English orthographic or spelling system. Uh, and it's easy for you to read it, but it doesn't look like English spelling. For example, eagle might be spelled E-G-L. All the sounds, but you don't have the vowels in every syllable. It's, 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 it's what enables the teacher or parent to recognize what needs to be taught, especially in that first half of first grade. We do a lot of direct instruction and phonics uh, with things like the CVC short vowel patterns, the uh, long vowel patterns like the E marker pattern, uh, another long vowel pattern called a, an open syllable like uh, a vowel by itself at the end of the syllable and words like no, so. So major instruction in the first half of first grade teaching these English patterns so that by the second half of first grade uh, they're beginning to use these patterns that they've been taught. Mm-hmm. And uh, we call that next phase phase four and it's called consolidated automatic because what happens is that once the kids have enough of these words that they can have learned how to spell automatically by the end of first grade about 300 words and pat and words uh, and syllable patterns that they've learned to spell automatically and that's when the independent reading and writing clicks in we're hoping that's going to happen as kids move into second grade so really it's just a wonderful process to watch and you can see it in their invented spelling and you can also um, connect it with the automatic word reading as children are going through these same phases and by the end of first grade move, moving into automatic word reading where they have rough, uh, as, as many as 300 plus words that they can recognize automatically. And once that happens, they can begin to be independent readers. So I find this so fascinating because, uh, like for example, the, the simple view of reading and Scarborough's reading rope are very well aligned, but they were developed independently based on research. And it sounds like what you're saying to mm-hmm. me too is that Aries phases and the spelling phases were developed independently based on research, but came up with pretty much the same thing. Would that be accurate? Absolutely. Absolutely. So looking back and, and how we've taught spelling in the past, I know when I taught spelling, it was very traditional. It was the, here's your list, practice them with your parents. Um, then I did, I did do some word study, but it was still very implicit. There wasn't a lot of explicit teaching of the patterns. So maybe you could talk about, from your perspective, some things that maybe we've gotten wrong with teaching spelling and um, what we need to do to move forward. One of the major things that we got wrong is that we weren't teaching it we were assigning Mm it okay or expecting the parents to teach it so um, i'm I'm, I'm glad you recognize that that that's just uh, one of the mistakes that we made in the past for three decades uh, we're not paying attention to the science and uh, the first thing and 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 the, the real reason for that uh, was something called whole language and slash balanced literacy. And those, that theory of reading, unlike the reading rope theory, uh, uh, s- suggested that learning to spell was e- as easy as learning to speak. And so we were told, uh, or teachers were told, well, you don't really need to teach spelling. So the first big mistake that we made, in my view, is that we stopped teaching spelling explicitly. Um, Then the second big 
problem is that we didn't give teachers the resources they need to teach spelling. Uh, spelling is very complex. English spelling is very complex. You know, I just mentioned briefly some of the, the very specific kinds of things that we have to teach in first grade, the six-syllable patterns. Um, uh, there's a, a lot to it. And you, you can't just uh, wing it if you're a teacher. You really need uh, resources, and that's why I've spent my career uh, developing research-based spelling books. It's a, uh, it's, it's a curriculum of the words and patterns that kids would need at a particular grade level to, or particular time in their literacy de development. And <clears throat> so it you know, really gets down to we've shoved spelling on the, onto the back burner, and what we really need to do is make sure we bring it back. I think that comes back to a lack of knowledge for teachers and not their fault exactly, but just for one thing, a lot of us don't understand the complexity of the English language because we did not learn that. And also not understanding how spelling works, that it's not just like you said, it's not a visual memorization of all the letters in order. We need to understand why things are spelled a certain way. Without the teachers understanding that, it's hard to know what to do. So we know that a big mistake we've made is not teaching spelling explicitly, kind of expecting kids to just learn the words. So what does it look like to teach spelling explicitly? Well, first of all, you need three things. You need a curriculum, uh, what words and syllable patterns to teach at each grade level. And that's why, again, I've spent decades developing research-based spelling books. Uh, another thing that you need is time in the language arts block. Uh, and what the research is saying today is that uh, in a two-hour language, uh, language arts block, um, what we would need is at least 20, spelling is so important, 20 minutes a day, each day of uh, explicit spelling instruction. And then you need the research-based strategies that engage kids. So, Anna, let's talk about uh, some of the things that don't work, okay? okay. Um, one of the things, and you brought it up at the very first of our uh, session today, one of the things that doesn't work is sending this home to parents to teach or for the kids to memorize on Thursday night before the test, okay? That's not teaching spelling, that's assigning spelling. Uh, writing the words 20 times, you've seen kids do that, it becomes a mechanical thing. They're not making the connection of the letters to the sounds of the, uh, or the spelling uh, or the syllable patterns. That doesn't work. Or thinking that if kids read, they will magically pick up spelling by osmosis. This is mm -hmm. part of that whole language balance literacy uh, theory that uh, spelling was as easy as learning to speak uh, and if they, we just put them in a, give them great children's literature and put them in a, a comfortable environment with books all around, they're just going to pick up English spelling. Uh, we now know from neuroscience uh, and cognitive psychology that it doesn't work that way. Uh, using boring worksheets from the internet, and <clears throat> the problem with that is that there's no consistency. Um, it's just haphazard, hit or miss. Um, it's not a good way for uh, teachers who are struggling to find resources to get them. 
Then word sorting alone, expecting that there have been over the last three decades um, something called Words Their Way, where kids were, at that, that program grew out of whole language. Words Their Way, meaning that if they just uh, played games and did word sorting alone, that they would um, discover on their own mm -hmm. how spelling works. And the problem with that, that's minimal guidance as opposed to explicit instruction. And then another thing that didn't work was replacing spelling instruction with test prep. Now this one gets, gets me because I, when, I, when I travel and talk with teachers, um, almost invariably in some districts, especially struggling districts, the uh, teachers will say, well, you know, <clears throat> Uh, my administrators say we don't need to teach spelling. Uh, you can't do a uh, Friday spelling uh, post-test, mm -hmm. and they've replaced it with test preparation. And the problem with that, well, if you can't spell, you're not going to be a very good reader. So uh, if mm -hmm. you can spell the word, you can read. So it's really um, one of those things that doesn't work that we need to, um, to worry about. So what does work? Uh, structured literacy instruction, not minimal, not minimal, not minimal guidance or discovery learning, rather explicit instruction. What does work, you need a well-designed curriculum. In first grade, Anna, that means it's generally explicitly teaching 300 plus words, and that includes those syllable patterns. Um, it, once you learn cat, you are able to, uh, by the end of first grade, uh, spell mat, cat, fat, sat, uh, so that it grows about 300 words. And in grade two and beyond, it might be an evidence-based spelling book as part of the well-designed curriculum. A third thing you need is active engagement of the child, such as when she invents a spelling in her own mind, or engagement by taking a pretest and then having the child, not you, correct it, but having the child self-correct. That, that engages the child uh, mentally with looking at the spelling. But then the fourth thing you need is feedback from the teacher. So when that child self-corrects, then the teacher's going to be there to uh, give feedback and actively be a part of that self-correcting analysis. And then finally, uh, something that, or that, that is very important is something called interleaved practice or mixing together various multi-sensory multi activities of working with the weak words. You don't do the same thing day after day after day after day, but mix up a lot of different kind of uh, multi-sensory activities. Some, uh, one practice activity, something called the look, say, see, write, check technique mm -hmm. that kids can use where you're using different senses to um, map the letters to the syllables or the sounds in the word. 
Wonderful. Well, I'm going to try to summarize what you just said, see, see what I forget. But so um, when you talked about things to avoid, one would be, of course, just assigning the words for the week and that's it. And then just letting go because we're too busy to teach it or we think that we are. Another one would be collecting random worksheets. Like I, I don't think there's not a problem necessarily with a worksheet, but when you're just randomly choosing worksheets here and there that don't go together, there's not like they're not building on each other. That can be kind of a waste of time. And then also using word sorts in a way that relies on kids figuring out the pattern themselves instead of explicitly teaching the pattern before they begin. And then for, for ways to do spelling properly would be to have a, a scope and sequence, which may come with a, a good curriculum that gives you words to work on each week, explicitly teaching those phonics patterns. And then um, I like what you said about the pretest, how that's, you know, in the past, I think sometimes I've seen it be used where the kids just take the pretest, the teacher takes it and grades it. And then if they got the words right, they don't have to take the Friday test. Like that's just how it works. Instead of, you know, providing feedback on all the words right after the test. So, and explaining why words are spelled in a particular way. So this is useful for the students in the moment. Absolutely. And having the child um, self-correct, that self-correction of the pretest, very important. Mm -hmm. So for kids who are being taught well, let's say the teacher understands a structured approach, they're teaching those phonics patterns explicitly, they're giving practice, they're, they're having students break the words apart into sounds, spell each sound, but they have kids who are struggling. Are there specific things they can do to help those kids uh, kind of get closer to catching up or to retain those spellings? Two major things. The first, uh, the t uh, first thing is that teachers have to meet the kid where they are developmentally. For example, there are a mm -hmm. lot of kids who are fourth graders who uh, are designated as dyslexic, who are spelling on a first grade level. Well, you can't just um, give them fewer fourth grade words and expect it mm -hmm. to work. You've got to go, go back and do um, individualized or small group uh, instruction with the uh, basic words, uh, phonics patterns uh, and syllable patterns that one would have been expected to learn in first grade. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it's very important that we uh, recognize that. And I think it's also very important that um, uh, we recognize that um, what we're doing with dyslexia in school today varies according to the district or uh, we really, we really need to work on a, a better um, way of diagnosing dys dyslexia. It depends on what district you're in, whether your child might have access to someone who's properly trained to um, set up the individual program or diagnose for dyslexia. And so I have so many parents who contact me and they are very frustrated because their kids have been in a um, particular program uh, at school getting help for one or two or three years and um, if they show me what they're doing and they're really not focusing on what that the child needs in terms of mm -hmm. explicit instruction in handwriting and spelling. So we need to back up to where they are and make sure that sure that instruction is explicit and often that just means lots more repetitions, lots more breaking it down, just moving at a, what feels like a slower That's, pace to master those right, spellings. Right, sometimes fewer words um, but again, being sure that there are fewer words at what that child's developmental level. Mm -hmm. 
Wonderful. Can you give us, uh, before we close out, maybe talk to us a little about some of the work you've done, any books that you have in the works or other things that are new that you can share with our listeners? Oh, I'd be delighted. Well, I have 18 books um, over my (laughs) uh, 40-plus year career, and I'm very, very excited. Um, The most recent book is um, called Brain Words. Um, It... uh, is a cutting-edge book for the science of reading movement. And a wonderful thing about it is it's not 400 pages written for <laughs> scientists, but it's we, we specifically um, translate the very complex neuroscience and science into um, layman's language so that teach, the book was written for teachers and parents. And um, the other big project that I have uh, that's recent, I, I, have, I do have a new spelling uh, spelling series, a first through uh, sixth grade spelling books with Zaner Bloser. It's called Spelling Connections, a word study approach. So um, thank you for uh, allowing me to mention these uh, books that I'm, I'm really excited about. I think uh, they're both cutting edge and, and very important for helping kids move forward. Well, thanks for all that you've done and continue to do in your career. I'll be sure to link to all those things in the show notes. And thanks again for talking today. Oh, I'm, pr- I'm privileged to be here. And uh, thank you. And thank you for amplifying the voice of teachers and parents. And uh, you're doing a great job out there thank making you. a difference. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes at themeasuredmom.com forward slash episode 152. Talk to you next time. That's all for this episode of Triple R Teaching. For more educational resources, visit Anna at her home base, themeasuredmom.com, and join our teaching community. We look forward to helping you reflect, refine, and recharge on the next episode of Triple R Teaching. 